Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. You should know by now that God's Word is not intellectually learned, but spiritually perceived. And even though we said we we read those scriptures before, we know what they say. It doesn't necessarily mean that we are walking in the light of it or in the full knowledge of it. And therefore, we must be teachable and we must invite the Spirit of God to teach us, to guide us, to lead us into all that is true. So, Father, we come before your presence to study your word. And as an act of our will, we say that we are attentive. We are receptive. Our hearts, Father God, are receptive. Our minds are open. We will receive from your word. Spirit of the living God. We invite you to teach us, to lead us, to guide us into all that is true. Enlarge our capacity to receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability of all things to pertain to life and godliness. That we may walk as doers of the word, not hearers only. Quicken thou us according unto the word. We'll not be distracted. And Father, I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth of your word and the power of the Spirit. That our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And when he had called the people unto him, he, with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And in particular, underline this verse 38. Whosoever, therefore, shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Notice, Jesus said. Everybody say, Jesus said. See, I didn't say it. Jesus said, whosoever is ashamed of him and his words. He'll be ashamed of when he comes in the glory of the Father. Those are powerful statements. Those are powerful words. You cannot separate Jesus from the Word. He is the Word. Amen? So if we say we love Jesus and He is our Savior, then we cannot ignore or neglect His Word, can we? And we should not act apart from His Word, should we? No. We do not want to disregard the things that he has spoken and the things that he has said. We want to show him that we hold his word in high esteem. We're not ignoring it. We're not neglecting it because he and his word are one. So let's begin again by reviewing. Number one, the Christian life offers tremendous potential to every child of God. We can have long life. We can have all things possible. We can have blessings untold, health, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost, prosperity, wisdom, all that is necessary to make us successful in this realm of life. And you ready for this? We can even have blessings or continued blessings upon our children and our children's children after we depart from this realm of life. That's pretty good. But the thing to know is that these blessings 
are not automatically or magically obtained. We don't wave a magical wand or we don't just go to sleep at night thinking when we wake up in the morning, automatically, everything's going to fall out of the sky on us. We don't just spell out a few scriptures, answer an altar call, find an anointed man and think, that's it. Once I have done that, that's it. I can just go on with my life and I'll never have another problem. No, that's the wrong kind of mentality. That's not the way it is. These blessings of God are experienced in reality or obtained when the heart of a man cries out after reality with God. If the heart of the man is not crying out, there'll be no reality. Even though we've been born again, that's not enough. Thank God we got in that way. But the things of God are not obtained through slothfulness or laziness. And change will never take place in our lives by being lazy. It'll never happen. We must be diligent. We must be tenacious. And we must be, we must be zealous and put forth all kinds of effort and energy if we are going to achieve God's best for our lives. We made that clear. And I keep saying it and will continue to keep saying it because that's what's heavy upon my heart. And I know that's what is needed to know within the body of Christ. Because we've had wrong perceptions, wrong mental attitudes about these things, we thought that everything should just happen because we've learned the right message. It doesn't just happen because we have knowledge. It requires an action on our part. We went on to say that on the part of God, there's an act. An action on the part of God. He came into this sense realm in the person of Jesus Christ, to seek and save that which was lost. That was His move. Our move is to break free from the sense realm, move into the spirit realm through Jesus Christ, the Word, and discover the plan of God and experience reality with God. Find the knowledge of God and apply it to our lives. God made His move. We must make our move. Of course, we have some hindrances. Or didn't you know that? We all have some hindrances. People look at, at those who stand in, in, public, or in public ministries or offices such as this one, and they think that that person is not like them. That person wakes up in the morning with a halo over his head, sprouting wings, just aglow with the Spirit, and has no emotional, physical desires whatsoever. Everything is tuned in and tuned up spiritually for that person. He doesn't hurt, doesn't even have to eat, drink, or use the bathroom in the morning. Let's get down to brass tacks. If you pinch him, he doesn't hurt. He's perfect. Well, let's wake up. Let's find out that everybody's real. Let's find out we're fighting the same fight of faith, facing the same opposition, and let's not be deceived. And if I don't apply the principles of God's Word to my life, I won't get any further in God than you will. Because although I may be anointed to preach it, I am not anointed to live it. I must live it by faith like you must live it by faith. Otherwise, we'll both be in the same boat. Walking out on the same water like Peter. 
And if we get our eyes off the Word of God, whether the name's Peter or Bill, or Mary or Joe, it doesn't matter. You're going to sink. But you keep your focus on the Word of the living God, and you won't sink. Not on man, but on God. Well, we said that this move in God involves two things in particular. Number one, self-denial. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And number two, it involves a proper attitude towards the Word of God. A proper attitude towards the Word of God. In verse 38. Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. What did he mean by that? He meant that there are those that disregard his word. And there are those that say, yes, I love you, Lord. I believe in you, Lord. But yet they take his word and separate it from God. I love you. But some of the things that you may be saying to me, I don't particularly care for. So we love Jesus, but we separate the Word from Jesus. And Jesus said, look, if you're ashamed of me and my words in this sinful and adulterous generation, I'll be ashamed of you when I come in the glory of my Father. And those things that are, are things that should strike us in spirit. Did you know that? And are in our minds. That we, yes, we love Jesus, but also we are committed to the Word of God. And so we said that we must maintain a proper attitude towards and respect for the Word of God in order to move into that spiritual realm. Now, naturally speaking, every single one of us is more pleased in gratifying our sensual desires and selfish inclinations than we are finding the will of God and fulfilling it. Did you know that? Every single one of us. Every minister included. The Apostle Paul included. He said, my body wants to do things it should not do. And although I want to do things I should do, I find difficulty doing it because I have this force opposing me. And he was talking about buffeting his own body. He's talking about his emotional desires that wanted him to make decisions apart from the Word of God. Did you know that? Romans chapter 7, he talks about the warfare that he had with his own body. His own physical and emotional makeup. What did he say? The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I should do, I don't do. The, th the things that I don't want to do, I do. And he cried out, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And in Roman times, that's talking about an individual who murdered somebody, who had that body tied to his own body, wrapped together, tied face to face, until that body decayed and killed him. What a horrible way to die. But that's what they did. And what Paul was saying, we're, we're just like him. Here we are walking around and we're tied to a dead body. Your body doesn't want to serve God any more than mine does. Did you know that? Your body doesn't want to pray any more than mine does. You ready for this one? Your body doesn't want to be refined any more than mine does. It doesn't want to be purified. It doesn't want to experience change in character or personality or conduct any more than mine does. It wants to have a right to get angry and hurt people. It wants to have the right to have its own way. It wants to be catered to, selfish, self-centered, and self-willed so I could get my way. 
Come on, say amen or oh me. I heard more oh me's than amens. That's just human nature. It's the way we are. That's why Jesus said it takes self-denial. If we want to grow in God, if we want to move in God, I'm going to tell you something, beloved. It cannot be done without self-denial. It cannot possibly be done without self-denial. Growth does not take place during sleep, spiritually speaking. I know in the day in which we live with all these modern advances and technological advances and all that, we want to go to bed at night, put tapes on, and just grow in God. Why, you old lazy thing, you. I know why you want to do it at night. Because you want to play during the day. Come on. Come on. I heard another oh me. Human nature. It's the way we are. It's the way the human part of us is. Something that can happen without any effort, without any energy, without me doing anything except going to bed at night, pushing on a tape. Make me better in God, if that'll work. No, beloved, it takes a conscious effort on our part. Growth does not take place during sleep, and change will never take place during sleep. We're going to stay stay the same way for the next 20 years as a Christian if we don't do anything about changing. Did you know that? Unless we are affected in spirit enough to know that we must change, we won't change. And you won't get any further in God. It doesn't matter how many seminars you go to, how many crusades you go to, how many meetings you attend, how much knowledge you obtain and possess. I'm telling you, beloved, I know for a fact, unless we begin to cry out of the depth of our being and do something about denying ourselves the right to be selfish, self-centered, and self-willed, take up our cross and follow the will of God for our lives, we are not going to change. Unless we do something about the ugly part of us in our outward man, it's not going to change. Unless we do something about the part of us that makes us unattractive to God and the people around us, we're not going to change. And you know what? We could even be so deluded and deceived that we don't even know that there's a part of us that offends people. Are you ready to grow? Remember that time you got on your knees before God and said, Lord, I want to decrease that you may increase. Do you know what you're asking for? Do you know what you're asking for? Have you ever heard of the expression, no pain, no gain? Do you know what you're asking for? Now, I know this isn't a popular message. And I realize that we want to have our ears tickled. I know we want to shout, hoop, and holler and everything else. And beloved, I also know this. A lot of that is emotionalism. A lot of that does not produce spirituality. If we want to become spiritual, we're going to have to become serious. Did you know that? Absolutely. And also, we're going to have to maintain a steadfast look in the Word of God and find the glory of God and find out how we should be. And then you know what? Make a commitment to change so that we can be what He wants us to be. Now, brother, don't you preach that we are complete in Him already? Yes, that's a spiritual truth. God said, work it out. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. In other words, don't just let it be a technical, legal truth. Make it a vital reality. It's on the inside of you. Well, let it produce through your soul and body. That's what He's talking about. Every single one of us. 
I want you to turn with me, if you would, please, to 2 Corinthians 7, 1, so that we can continue. And as we turn here, I want us to get, make, make note once again, our conflict, our biggest battle in conflict is not with the devil. The biggest hindrance to our spiritual growth and development is ourselves. Ourselves. Myself. Yourself. Your flesh. My flesh. The spirit wars against the flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit. There's no harmony there. And there's a battle taking place for the mind. If the body can, through the unrenewed mind, hold the spirit in bondage, we're not going to act any differently than when we, before we got saved. But if the spirit of the man that's been recreated can teach the mind the Word of God and the mind be renewed, then the spirit man that's been recreated to the renewed mind will control the body and keep it in check. And that's why Paul says, daily I have to buffet myself because every single day there's a tendency for me to go back and drift away from God if I obey the dictates of my flesh. So he says, I'm not one that's running a race to lose. I'm not fighting and just beating the air. I'm not shadow boxing. I want to obtain the prize, and I know what I have to do. I know that any runner has got to go through a rigorous training. I know that any boxer must maintain himself physically, or he's going to get beat. And it doesn't matter what the person's name is. Well, we found that out recently, didn't we? Your name could be Mike Tyson, but it doesn't mean you can't be beat. Can you say amen? It doesn't matter who we are. The thing to realize, beloved, is that this is not a game we're playing. We're not living in this world viewing it as a playground. It is a battleground. And we have opposing forces wanting to target our lives to destroy us and bring destruction to everything we hold dear in life. And we have to realize that the forces against us, yes, the devil, also the spirit of the world or of this age, and also the flesh. But the one most difficult to contend with is the flesh because it's a part of our makeup. It's a part of our being. And it's not been dealt with yet spiritually. Redemption has not affected our body as of yet. And so for that reason, we've got to do something. The Bible says, mortify your bodily members upon this earth. See, that's a command given to us as believers. We've got to do something. Otherwise, we're not going to change. Now, as far as God's Word is concerned, we said that if we disregard the Word of God, if we don't deny ourselves, if we don't do the things Jesus said do, if we disregard His Word and don't act upon it, each time that we do, you know, it causes heart trouble, heart damage. It causes the heart of a man to drift further away from God. Did you know that? David was a man after God's own heart. But probably through neglect or... Make note of this. Number one way, through neglect. Or number two, making decisions based on emotional or physical desires. Those two ways. Number one, through neglect. Or making decisions, wrong decisions based on emotional or physical desires is how we disregard the Word of God and don't hold it in high esteem. And when we do that, our hearts change. 
It produces heart trouble. The heart drifts further and further away from God, and then it becomes easier and easier and easier to act apart from the Word of God, even though we're Christians. Easier to make wrong decisions. Easier to live by the dictates of our flesh and our emotional desires. That's what backsliding is all about. That's why it's called backsliding. We slide back into the things from, the, from whence we came, that we came out of. Whereas the love of God used to dominate us, now we just right on back into selfishness and being self-centered. We learned about that love of God agape business, and we tried it for a while, but we just are more content drifting back into being selfish and self-centered and self-willed. You know why? That's the way this flesh wants to be. It wants to have its cake and eat it too. Eat it too. It wants whatever it can get. It wants to be catered to. It doesn't want to give place to spiritual things. And if I can be so bold, it wants to assist the devil in taking us all to damnation. I'm telling you the truth. That's just that's because you see we had a wrong teacher in there that taught us to do wrong. We're creatures of habit, and to break some of the habits that we've been taught in the physical realm because of the wrong spirit that was in us before we got saved is not an easy thing to do. Some things will happen instantaneously, but not all things. And that's why I want us to see this scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Now remember, if we disregard the Word of God through neglect or making wrong decisions based on emotional or physical desires, then Jesus is saying, you're being ashamed of my words. And since he also said, if a man loves me or my father, he will keep my words and my commandments. What's he implying? That if we don't keep his word and commandment, then we're not really showing that we love him. If we love him, we'll do his word. If we love him, we'll keep his commandment. If we keep his commandment, it shows we love him. If we keep his word, it shows we love him. Second Corinthians 7, 1. Remember this now. Having therefore these precious promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. No one is exempt from this scripture. Regardless of our attitude, our thinking, our desires, whatever we want, our motivation, no one is exempt. Not only at the sound of my voice, but in the body of Christ everywhere from this scripture. And what he is saying here is... Every single child of God should be actively involved in cleansing himself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit and perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Why? Because those things that he calls filthiness of the flesh and spirit are the things that make us unattractive to God himself and also to those that are around us. Yes, in, the, in Christ we are complete. By the blood of the Lamb, we are complete. But we're talking, beloved, about things that we do in the body that are displeasing to God. And there's going to come a day that we're all going to be tried as by fire. What God is saying to us is this. Although we've been washed in the blood and we are clean and pure and holy on the inside, He wants us to work that in and through our lives until it affects us in our emotions and in our actions and our deeds and the things that we do and the way we treat people here upon this earth. In the way that we have interaction with one another. Whether we forgive one another like we should and treat people like we should. This is what he's talking about. He wants us to cleanse ourselves from all the things 
that make us unattractive to God Himself and also to people that we associate with here upon this earth. He wants His love, His light, His powerful, His, His, His character, His conduct to flow through our lives. And that's why, beloved, I say this. If every child of God would look at that Scripture and do his or her part, you know what? It would solve life's problems. We'd be so busy with ourselves, we wouldn't be able to see the faults of others. We'd be so busy purifying ourselves and cleansing ourselves and in dealing with all the things that we call character flaws and shortcomings in our own lives, we wouldn't be out there doing it to others. Judging them. That's what Jesus meant when He said, get the beam. How many of you know it takes a whole lot more work to get a beam out than it does a splinter? Come on. See, you thought it was just one little yank, and it's out. Uh Uh-uh. That's not what he was referring to. You can do that with a splinter. With a beam, you've got to get rid of it a little bit at a time, see? Get it out. Get it out. Keep working on it and get that thing out. What's he talking about? All the character flaws, all the things that make us unattractive. Well, now, come on, I thought in Christ, we are in Christ perfect. But, beloved, he wants Christ to be formed in us also. Have we never read Galatians 4.19, where the Apostle Paul says, I travailed and birthed again to, now to Christ be formed in you? In other words, you've been born again now, but Christ is not formed in you yet. You're still walking as mere men, natural men, carnal men, full of jealousy, envy, strife, and, and bitterness, and, and anger, and unforgiveness, and all these different things. He says, Christ is not formed in you yet. And so he got on his knees and began to travail in birth once again. Why? So that Christ would be formed in these people at the province of Galatia. That's what he was referring to. And here he is saying to us, we have got to do our part to cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of flesh and spirit to make ourselves more attractive to God, more attractive to one another, so that we can be the loving and the kind people that God wants us to be. Now, very often we find ourselves experiencing difficulties and problems and troubles within our lives when it comes to relationships because we have failed to do this. Beloved, make note of this. Regeneration, what it does is takes you out of sin, takes me out of sin. But sanctification is the process of taking sin out of us. The old man was removed who was the teacher who taught us to do wrong, make wrong decisions, wrong choices, do things that are wrong, and also have character flaws. You know, there was never an ugly act in the Garden of Eden. Between husband and wife, Adam and Eve were absolutely perfect. And they had so much love they cared for one another. It's beyond our our ability to comprehend or imagine the love and the interaction that flowed between them. There was never a division within the family unit or the household or the marital relationship until when? Until the fall came. And then each one became selfish, self-centered, self-willed. Wanting to do his or her own thing, live his or her own life, his or her own way. And when all that began to take place, it produced character flaws in, in, in the in part of man, the outward part of man, stemming from within. Well, once we got rid of the man on the inside and were born again, children of God, the life of God, the nature of God, the power of God, the love of God, the wisdom of God... What I'm saying is, you don't just get a magical wand and wave it over somebody's head or let them go to sleep at night. All of a sudden, they wake up super spiritual giant. The love of God just flowing automatically, magically. It doesn't happen that way, beloved. 
We still have character flaws. We still have shortcomings. But see, we forget about those things. We put those things on the back shelf. We get involved and go in the meetings. We get involved in doing this work and that work and whatever else. We get ourselves so, you know, busy, busy going about doing all these different things. We forget about someone. Who is it that we forget about? Our personal growth and development. Our responsibility to perfect holiness in the fear of God. To do something about our demeanor. To do something about our conduct. To see to it that we reflect the very life of Christ. James said that we are to have every grace manifested in Christ also manifested within us. That means we are to day by day, daily, we are to grow up into Him in all things. Until we walk like Him, talk like Him, act like Him. Beloved, anybody can go to church and shout and hoop and holler. Anybody can go to a crusade that comes in town and and scream hallelujah and praise God Almighty. Anyone can do that. And we've all been there. But what about somebody changing their life from within to be the person that God wants them to be? You don't get that from a shout, brother. Your knees before God on your face prostrate on the ground saying, change me, Father God. I see some things in my life that I don't like. Change me. Quicken thou me according to the Word. You know why? Because He'll never intrude into your life to do it unless you invite Him. Doesn't matter how many meetings we attend. I'll tell you something else. He won't make you make right choices and right decisions either. We've made so many wrong choices based on emotional desires and physical lust, beloved, that it's almost pathetic before God. Come on now. You say, why are you being so tough this morning? You know why? Because someone start, needs to be getting tough. That's why. We've got to get rid of this loose mentality that says we can do what we want to do when we want to do it. We've got to do what the Word of God said, beloved. And that includes right here perfecting holiness in our lives. Why? Because without it, no man will see the Lord. That's why. It's time that we start preaching it like it is. Look at the book of Hebrews there real quick with me, if you would please, in chapter 12. And we'll see a reason why... Many are troubled and many are sick and many are dying prematurely also. This chapter is talking about the disciplinary action of God. And then when he begins to see us not acting like we should and not doing anything about change, he has no choice but to do what? Discipline us. That's not talking about bringing sickness and disease upon us. That's talking about sometimes removing his hand of protection. Allowing us sometimes to be humiliated. Do you know that? I'm telling you that. It's an absolute fact. See, many times we won't do what is necessary. And so God can't keep blessing us like He wants to bless us. And His hand of protection will be removed somewhat to some degree. And then some other things start happening that bring humiliation to our lives. And we start realizing, what, my, my goodness, what have I been doing? Or what have I not been doing to make myself more attractive to God and, and, and to those around me? And then we wake up, the light bulb goes on, and we start realizing, my goodness, I've been doing all these other things for everybody else, and I have neglected my own personal spiritual growth and development, and I've not done my part. You see, you see to have change in my own life. This scripture says in, in verse 11, Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. That's why I said if there's no pain, there's not going to be any gain. Now, come on. Are you all out there, you're sitting there real quiet because you know that you've reached the, the plateau of perfection? Now, why is this guy preaching like this? He knows I'm perfect. 
Is, is that what you're thinking out there? Come on now. There's nobody perfect here except me. Right? Thank you. No, I'm not perfect and neither are you. But what I'm saying is, you will stay the way you are for the next 20 years until you hear this message. Because there's no motivation in our flesh to do anything to encourage change in our lives unless we start hearing it and opening up our hearts unto it. Because we're satisfied where we're at and what we have. And sometimes, beloved, it takes near tragedies to get our attention. Did you know that? And it shouldn't be that way. But that's the way we are. Unless somebody blows the trumpet and sounds the alarm, we do nothing. So listen, it's not joyous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So this chastening, which is a spiritual training and educational process, yes, it may first of all cause pain because it points out some character flaws that we have. But it will yield the fruit of righteousness and the holiness of God. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way and let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking how? Slotfully? No. Diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And it's talking about shooting poison throughout the system. So here he's telling us that it's our responsibility and duty to do something about our own growth and development, to do something about keeping ourselves pure, holy, refined, and clean, free from filthiness and contaminating influences that would destroy us. So that the power of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the wisdom of God, the might of God will be manifested in and through our lives. And not this poison that will rise up, spring up from within us and do what? Destroy us. Now turn with me to the book of Titus, if you would, please. Every single one of us, whether we realize it or not, is a creature of habit. That means... Once we learn to do something one way, or once we start doing something one way, we continue doing that, and that's the way we, we, we act all the time. You will continue doing the same thing that you've been doing after you've developed a particular habit to do something that way. If it's your habit when you get up in the morning to do this, 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 then you probably do that every single morning that way. Until finally something changes and you can't do it that way anymore. And still there'll be the tendency for you to try to do it that way. And you'll still do it that way until you create another habit and you change. That's the way we are. We're creatures of habit. The old man on the inside taught us to do things the wrong way. The old man on the inside taught us to respond certain ways in certain situations. And just because we got saved, it didn't mean that magically that habit went away. No, what it means is this. It'll stay with us until we do something to change that habit and create a new habit. If it's your custom to hold unforgiveness in your heart and not forgive people, 
and you've done it that way, you've always been that way, after you get saved, if you don't do anything about that, you'll probably continue being the same way. If it's your habit to do things that annoy people through criticism, being short with them, having a demeanor that upsets people, just because you get saved doesn't mean it's going to change. It's only going to change if the I, the person himself or herself, makes the quality decision to rid himself or herself of that character flaw. I know those who have attitudes, and I'm sure we all have our own, I have my own, who have continued in those same attitudes from the day they got saved 15 years later. And they've not changed not one iota. Why? Is it because they haven't heard what the Word of God says? No. Because we've been taught to do things that way. It's a part of our demeanor. It's a part of our makeup. It's a part of our character. It's a part of our conduct. And so we go on doing things that way, thinking that it's okay and that it's all right. And don't do anything to change. Because change is hard work. Change means pain. Change means effort. It means energy. It means diligence. It means putting forth what is necessary to have change occur. Now, if we can all walk under some magical wand and say, make me the person you want me to be, Lord, today, boom, and that's it, we'd all do it. But it doesn't happen that way, does it? No. It doesn't happen that way. It happens because we desire for it to happen. It happens because we cry out of the depth of our being for it to happen. Otherwise, it will not happen. And we'll go on being that same person. We'll go on doing all these different things that hurt other people. And we're not going to change. Well, beloved, I want us to read these scriptures. They're very important. If we are going to have change in our lives, it's going to be because of our decision to look into the Word of God for ourselves to determine and discover what kind of person God wants us to be. And as we look into the Word of God, that's still not enough. We must maintain this steadfast look. We must maintain an attitude and a desire for change because we want to change. And then we must ask the Father God by His Spirit to quicken us to make us the person that He wants us to be. And it may be a struggle for you. I'm telling you, you may have responded this way for 20 years. And all of a sudden, you find out, look, that's not the way it is. That's not the the way God wants you to be. You shouldn't be acting that way. You know what? It won't go away overnight. And I'm telling you, the time that you're confronted with certain situations that would make you respond that way, it's going to be everything you can possibly do not to. You're going to be contested. You're going to be challenged every inch and every step of the way. And the only way it's going to happen... It's through consecration and dedication and drawing from the strength of God until you create a new habit. Do you know what? That's called sanctification. Once you create that new habit, you'll be more sanctified outwardly. If you don't do anything to create that new habit, you'll not be sanctified in that area of your life. Now, in 2 Corinthians, we're in Titus there. I'll tell you what, hold your place there. I want to share this 
We're going to go to Titus next. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want us to see this scripture. It's very important. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and look at verse 11. For that which is done away was, more, was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have a, such a hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded. Notice, their minds were blinded. One translation says their minds, they, they were hard and calloused. Their minds grew hard and calloused. Their minds were blinded. For until this day there remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, beloved, let's, let's take that. I understand what it's saying. It's talking about the two covenants. But let's look at it this way also. When it comes to our own demeanor and conduct, you know, our, our minds are just as blind and hardened and calloused to ourselves and the way we are. We think everything is all right, but unless we line ourselves up to the Word of God, we're really not going to know. Just as their minds were hardened and callous and they could not see what God wanted them to see, our minds become callous and hardened and we can't see the things about our lives that prevent us from being more attractive to God and people around us. And unless we do something that He said here, when they turn to the Lord, the veil will be removed. It's only when we turn ourselves to the Lord and say, expose, put the floodlight on me. Expose to me all the character flaws, all the shortcomings, all the things I need to change in my life to make me more attractive to you and those around me. Now, you can either do it that way or you can just ask your husband or wife. And as I said last Wednesday night, if, you're, you know, if you ask your wife, she pulls out that list and it goes all the way to the ground. And it, they're all listed right there. All, this, all these different things. You know, and of course, vice versa. You can, you can do the same thing because it's easy to see each other's faults and you know, flaws and shortcomings and all that. But beloved, unless we do something to look into the Word of God, not just to discover truth, not just to get our minds educated... But with this attitude, I want to look like Him. I want to act like Him. I want to think like Him. I want to move like Him. I want His love to flow through me like it should. Unless we do that for ourselves, beloved, it's not going to happen. I can't change you and you can't change me. I can only change me. And you know what? I have discovered the need that I have. Have you discovered your need? I, I mean this. Are you serious with God? Have you discovered your need to become more attractive to the Father and also to those that are around you? If you haven't, turn to the Lord. You'll find out that that need is there in your life also. Amen. Go to Titus now, real quick. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 1, this is exactly what Paul was saying to Titus to teach people and talk to people about. 
in verse 1, it says, But speak thou the things which become a sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, charity, and in patience. Another translation from the Living Bible says this, verse 1, But as for you, speak up for the right living that goes along with true Christianity. Speak up for the right living that goes along with true Christianity. You know what, beloved? We live in an age right now that we've got to start speaking up for the right living that goes along with true Christianity. And I'm talking about starting right here. Every one of us needs to speak up for the right living. How many of you know that right living goes along with true Christianity? And that we've got to be concerned about making right choices and right decisions based upon the Word of God, not upon our own emotional lusts and desires. We've got to start doing something about looking into the Word of God, the glory of God to be revealed, so that we can be changed to be the people He wants us to be, to live the way He wants us to live. We don't set the standards and we don't make the rules. We want to be the way He wants us to be, not the way we want to be. Now, I want you to see something here. There are six things in verse 2. This, we're, we're just going to pull this out right, real quick here and talk about aged men. He's talking about those that are seasoned in the Lord, those that are mature in God. If you're a young person out there or if you're young in the Lord, I want you to get a hold of this because here's what he's saying. A person who is mature in God will grow and become this type of a person. You can sit out there and say, but brother, I am 40 years in the Lord. You know what? I can say also this. You can be 40 years in the Lord and not grow at all. And you can be the same as you were 40 years ago with the same demeanor and the same conduct. You say, that's heavy. That's hard. I know it is. But that's what, that's what is needed to get us to wake up. Did you know that? To really get us to wake up. Being in Christ is not going to sleep, rising up and going to sleep, thinking something's going to happen to our lives to, to experience change. It's not going to happen. It's only when this heart begins to cry out. Look at, the, look at the six things. Number one, sober. Number two, grave. Number three, temperate. Those first three deal with the person's demeanor. The last three, sound in, sound in. Sound in what? Faith, charity, and patience. They deal with the conduct. The first three with the demeanor. The last three with the conduct. He's telling him, now look, you speak up for right living that goes along with true Christianity. And you tell those that are mature, the, the aged, those that are older in the Lord, that they should be people, number one, that are sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, charity, and patience. From the Living Bible, it says it this way. Teach the older men to be serious and unruffled, sensible and knowing and believing the truth, and doing everything with love and patience. In other words, the mature saint should have a demeanor that is serious, sober, sensible, dignified, and discreet. And their faith should be unmovable, their love unhinderable, and their patience inexhaustible. That's what he's saying. And if we have not achieved that after 40 years of being in the Lord, do you know what? We've been sleeping for 40 years in Christ. Come on now, say amen or oh me. I don't want to be asleep for 40 years in Christ. Thank God we can awake to righteousness, as the Bible says, and sin not. We can wake up. We can find out that God wants us to change. And that we should change because we love Him. Now, beloved, if there are problems and troubles 
and that we encounter in our relationships with people, you can trace it all back to this. In a marital relationship, in a family relationship, in a work-related relationship, in a church-related relationship, you know what the problem is? Everyone has his or her own character flaw and nobody wants to do anything about it. Well, I don't like the way Sister Mary does this. And I don't like the way Sister so-and-so does it. And you know about Brother so No one wants to do anything about the way they present themselves to people. And it starts with the individual and it goes, like I said, through a marital relationship, through the children, and right on and right on and right on. And work-related relationships, people think that it's all, it's, all, it's all the company that I work for. You know, if we change our demeanor, for the most part, and if we do something about our conduct, we'd be able to get along with people and people would be able to get along with us. Now, I know that, that there are those that you just can't get along with, but the Bible says as much as we possibly can, we're supposed to get along with all people that we associate with in this realm of life. Isn't that true? Why is it then that church people can't get along? Everybody's envious of the other one. Everybody's jealous of the other one, talks about the other one and, and all that. You know what? Well, we're going to meddle a little bit. We've got to start doing something about this little thing called the tongue that gets us in more trouble and hot water than anything else. And no, I'm not starting with you. I'm starting right here. Every single one of us. Misuse of our tongue. Not doing anything to change, to see to it that we speak words of life and faith and of love and of power and of might. Now, come on, are you with me? Are you one of those who say, I don't want to get involved in all this, anything that takes a little bit of work and energy and effort? Or do you want to know how it is? And do you want to have the fear of God in you because you know that one day you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ to, to determine what you did in your body, whether it was good or bad? Do you want to hear that or do you want to have your ears tickled? Do you want to hear that, don't you? Do you want to get refined now or have your works be burned up by fire? Let's get refined right now. Right? Let's get refined right now. Let's become pure right now. Let's become holy right now. Let's start operating in it right now. That way when that day comes, thank God, we won't have to be tried as a fire and, and, and you know, just be saved just by fire. And everything else burned up. Well, if you're out there and you're ready for change in your life, God's formula for change is found in 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says, If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray. There is no change without humility. There is no change without prayer. There is no change without seeking His face and turning from our ways. Mark it right down. Mark it right down. If you're having problems in your marriage, if you're having problems in your family, if you're having problems with people and relationships, don't think you've got to change them. You've got to change you. You have got to change you. You've got to change self. I've got to change me. I've got to do something about me. This person right here. I've got to change me. You've got to change you. And that's, that's the way it works. I have got to humble myself and I have got to pray. I have got to seek His face. I have got to turn from doing things my own way. Now, the key is this. If we can get everyone to do that, can you see how God would then bring healing and restoration to the lives of people? If he, if he can get us to stop pointing out everybody else's faults and flaws and character flaws and shortcomings and all that, and just look at ourselves and start saying, what I'm going to choose to do in my life is to become the person God wants me to be. I'm going to be a person... To, totally dedicated to and committed to walking in the divine love of God. I'm going to let God's love shine through my life in such a way. I'm going to be you know, the person that's committed to that in such a way that, that, that Jesus Christ Himself is actually flowing through my life. That's what I'm going to do. Can you imagine if that person, whether it's your wife or your husband or your children, if they all say the same thing, can you imagine what the result of that would be? What would it be? There'd be harmony. There'd be peace. There'd be love. There'd be power, beloved. There'd be glory. There'd be heaven on earth. 
Absolutely. Can you imagine what church services would be like if all the people came together with that same demeanor, with that same conduct, strong in those different areas? Beloved, the need is there for me to change and for all of us to change, but it will not occur until, first of all, we begin to humble ourselves and pray. It's in those times of humility and prayer that even some things are exposed to us that need to be dealt with in our lives. There are blessings of God that are being withheld or not being able to be made manifest because many are not committed to the change that would produce the blessing and the result that we would want. But when we make a decision to commit ourselves to change, I'm telling you, you want to start doing something, you'll get busy for God right there. You'll get so caught up and so involved in doing what is necessary to make you be the person God wants you to be, you won't find fault with those that are around you. And then once you start to become refined, you know what else you'll do? You'll encourage others to become more refined and purified and more holy before God. Amen. Beloved, are you with me on this? Or as I said, or do you want your ears tickled? Are you with me on this? Are you committed to change? I'll tell you something. We committed ourselves to Christ when we got saved. And you know what? That was a lifetime commitment. I'm going to say that again. When we got saved, we got saved from eternal damnation. Did we not? But you know what? When we got saved, we made a lifetime commitment. Not to stay the same, the same way that I was. No. But to put on the new life in Christ. Not to want what I want, but to deny myself. Did you know that? When we gave our lives to Christ, it wasn't just a conversion that says, Now that I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven. I thank God Almighty. Hallelujah. I do anything I want to do now. No. We committed our lives. How many know that Christ wants lives? Not just empty words, but lives. I gave my life to Him. You gave your life to Him. And that means you're committed to Him. And that means we're committed to change. And we should be busy changing. We should be busy looking into that mirror of God's Word to find out where I can change and be a better person in Christ. And beloved, if we'll do that, God will accommodate us. I'm telling you, if we'll humble ourselves, if we'll pray, if we'll seek His face and turn from doing things as we are prompted by our emotional desires and physical lusts, you know what He said He'll do? He will hear from heaven. He will forgive our shortcomings and flaws and faults and fish. And He says, I'll bring healing and restoration to your land. And I know for a fact that that's the way it is. We don't have any magical wands. But I know for a fact that if we have that kind of dedication, consecration, and commitment to God, things will happen. We've got to break free and break loose from the spirit of this age that says, just act according to your physical desires and do whatever you want to do. Don't look at any situation as being hopeless and, and, and a situation that can't be changed. It can if a person is committed. And beloved, let's be the committed ones today. Are you committed today? I know I am. Let's stand to our feet before God. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If 
you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.